All right, everyone. Thank you to our new 2019 edition of our Ed Choice Chats, where we're going to kind of look forward and talk about things that we expect to happen in this new January 2019, and also talk about a few things that happened in the past in 2018 in December. I'll tease a little bit. We've got Jason Bedrick on the line and Lauren Hodge here in the studio. And at kind of the end of this podcast, we're going to talk just a little bit about what two state Supreme Court cases came down in December. So I think that you should stay tuned for a little bit of that. And then we'll also talk a little bit about uh, some podcasts that we're going to do going forward. So stay tuned and stay on the line, maybe. Stay on the line, stay on the podcast for that. But again, it's Michael Chartier, your Senior Director of State Relations here. Lauren Hodge in the studios and Jason Bederick on the line. And we're just going to go briefly through a couple of our states and what we kind of we expect to see. I'm going to lead the list here with uh, the state of Alaska, the final frontier. Their new governor, Michael Dunleafy, was sworn in in December. I think one of the earliest states to swear in their governor. And they do that to give the governor time to get his proposed budget in line and he can submit that to the legislature. But what we do know is that he has been a big fan of school choice, spoken very favorably about it in the past, and has also introduced a number of school choice pieces of legislation when he was in the Alaska Senate there. So I'm expecting to see some movement of school choice legislation there. I haven't seen any bills that have been pre-filed, but I do know that there are some legislators that are certainly talking about that and looking around to other states. They've got some time before their funnel deadlines, I see, on their calendar. So I expect some things to happen there, but as of yet, we don't have any pre-filed bills or we have any uh, bills that have been filed in the past couple of weeks. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on that, and you guys should be keeping an eye on that as well, especially, again, with the uh, the new governor that came in and being so pro-educational choice that I think that we'll see some movement of things up there. So moving on from Alaska to uh, a state a little further south, but still on the northern part of the United States, we'll go to the great state of New Hampshire, I think. Lauren will give us a little thoughts on what she expects to see there in the Granite State. Thanks so much, Michael. Well, for those listeners who have been tuning in along the way, you know that New Hampshire saw some radical changes uh, with the elections and the midterm elections. And so uh, we expect to see a a lot of movement here in New Hampshire in the, the coming year. Um, and one of the things that we're looking for, we don't really have a full bill in front of us that we're watching, but rather an LSR that we're paying attention to. And so, as you might recall, for those of you who have been kind of following along to this podcast, uh, you remember that the uh, House and the Senate flipped control into the uh, Democratic control. And so we have still Governor Sununu, who was reelected and advocate of school choice, a vocal advocate of school choice. But we do have here kind of a change in power, and and it's going to result, I think, in some interesting filings, such as this LSR that caught my attention. And so an LSR in New Hampshire, we don't have the language of that bill, but what's of note to me is the title. It's a relative to the Education Tax Credit, which is the school choice program there in New Hampshire. But of bigger note is the primary sponsors that we do have in there. For example, we do have Representative Porter, who's sponsoring that bill, and Representative Rosenwald. Both of these individuals have sponsored bills very similar to the one that I believe we have here, uh, which have been direct repeal efforts to the tax credit scholarship program in New Hampshire. So we very well may be facing a repeal effort to the program in New Hampshire. Um, So somewhat of a defensive posture potentially moving forward in New Hampshire. So, you know, be on the lookout for that and we'll be following closely as developments continue. Thank you for that, Lauren. And also, just for our listeners, what what is an LSR? I don't, I don't know what an LSR is. 
So an LSR is, is and Jason actually, as a former New Hampshire legislator, might be able to chime in here. But an LSR is an opportunity, so prior to pre-filing, it's an opportunity for freshmen legislators, as I understand it, to go through and essentially pre-file and have legislative staff work up the bill and kind of get their idea into shape. So what you have is available to the public, like us, basically a title and those individuals who would be sponsoring and then legislative staff who is going through and working up the details and the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of that bill. And so then that's ultimately formulated and then it becomes revealed at a later date. Jason, can you give us some more information about that? Oh, that's about it. It's a, the, the term is a legislative service request. So it's just, it's the pre-filing of a bill. Uh, it does not have official language yet, has not yet been assigned to a committee, but uh, unless it is withdrawn by the sponsor, it will ultimately become a bill. Well, that's perfect. I always like to give our listeners a little bit more information on these terms of art that we we throw around quite a bit. I didn't know what an LSR was, so it helped me out. But it's, it's definitely uh, worth noting the, uh, these things as they come across, kind of stop and try to explain them for people that don't uh, keep their heads in the weeds like this and, quite frankly, probably have better things to do than figure out what all these bill terms are across the country. So thank you both for, for, for that uh, piece of information. You know, I think as you talked about you know, one state, New Hampshire, that has repeal efforts potentially moving through the legislature. I think we can move to a state that perhaps has some positive news, a positive outlook from our school choice friends, and that would be the state of Tennessee, the volunteer state with their new governor that's said and done a lot of pro-educational choice things. Uh, Jason, do you want to walk us through some things that you've heard and seen about Tennessee and some things that we might be able to expect coming out of there? Yes. So as we know, the state of Tennessee has a new governor, Bill Lee, who is a longtime supporter of school choice and on the campaign trail was very adamant that he wanted to explore new options to expand educational options for children in the state of Tennessee. So we don't have legislation there yet, at least as of when we've recorded this podcast, but we do expect that there will be legislation to expand the state's individualized education accounts program, which is uh, an education savings account program similar to what we have in Arizona, Florida, and Mississippi. It's like a voucher program, as our listeners know, but the dollars that flow into these accounts can be used for a wide variety of educational goods and services, private school tuition, but also tutors, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning, so on and so forth. And especially because this program is currently only available to students with special needs, it can also be used for educational therapy. We expect that there will be a move to expand the eligibility for the education savings accounts in Tennessee, although we do not yet know what that bill is going to look like. But uh, as soon as something is filed, uh, we'll be sure to let our listeners know. While we're on the topic of education savings accounts, there is also legislation that has been filed uh, in the state of Missouri. So House Bill 34 and Senate Bill 160 would each create a tax credit funded education savings account program. So that is something that we're going to keep an eye on. And then HB 33 would create a new funding mechanism for Bryce's Law, which is basically a tax credit scholarship law that had been passed, but because of some legislative shenanigans actually ended up not having 
a, a funding mechanism attached. So this is a way to restore that. So we'll be keeping an eye also on Missouri. So director of policy, th- th- this would be the, you know, if Missouri passed this bill, this would be the first basically tax credit funded education savings account program in the, in the nation. Is, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. There have been a number of proposals in various states to do something like this, but none so far have passed. So there are currently six states that have an ESA law on the books. Uh, In five of those states, they're actually operating. All of those are funded directly via appropriations of public funds. Missouri's would be the first one if it were to pass that would fund the accounts through donations for which the donors receive tax credits. Thank you. Just really quickly, too, you've pointed out that New Hampshire has something similar, has sort of the tax credit with the ESA-like component. What's the difference between this and what New Hampshire has? That's a good question. So in New Hampshire, it is a tax credit scholarship program. It's just that unlike other tax credit scholarship programs where the scholarships can only be used for tuition, in New Hampshire, they can use the scholarships for a wide variety of different things, like I outlined before. Uh, One of the major differences is that in New Hampshire, they don't actually have an account they have to submit receipts and and get reimbursed by the scholarship organization for eligible expenditures, and they can't roll over unused funds from year to year. Got it. Uh, so it's a little bit different because that's with with the ESAs, you actually have an account. Uh, in some cases, you know, like in Arizona, you even have a debit card that's associated with the account, and unused funds can be saved for later years. Thank you for uh, for making that delineation because I know we've talked about the wide variety of expenses and stuff that New Hampshire can utilize their program for. But it's also important to point out the differences so our listeners and if there are any readers to this podcast, uh, you know, they can read, read it online, they know that difference. I think uh, one of the last states I want to point out as well before we kind of move on to a few other things, specifically the uh, court cases, is the state of Indiana. Expect to see probably at least two maybe three ESA bills coming out of the Hoosier state, my home state. I know that there are legislators that are working on those things right now. I don't know what any of those look like as of yet. They haven't been introduced, but I do know that there's some folks working on that. So who knows? But I do know there's probably going to be around two or three of those things that are introduced. And I do expect a few other bills related to the state's voucher program, as well as the uh, tax credit scholarship program to be introduced. Just some cleanup things make the programs work a little better, streamline a few things here, tweak a few things there. So I expect a few things like that to come down the pipeline. Not sure, you know, talking to folks here, not sure exactly what's going to happen and not sure exactly what the chances are for anything passing or any major new programs coming down the pipeline. But I certainly know that there are things that we should be taking a look at and following. And we will definitely be updating you guys as we uh, move along the course of the year about the uh, the Hoosier State. I think if we want to, you know, the, the state's by population with the two largest school choice programs after Indiana is the state of Florida. And Jason, do you want to talk about some things, you know, as we piggyback about what things you might expect to see in Florida? And that could tie us right in there to the recent Florida Supreme Court case, and then would we'll tie us onto the Montana case. So we've got a little daisy chain here, things to talk about. So Jason, you want to take that and talk about Florida and then Montana? Yes, absolutely. 
in Florida, just like Tennessee, we have a, an incoming governor who is uh, very positively disposed towards school choice. And we have an existing ESA program that is currently limited to students with special needs. And so as in Tennessee, we are expecting that the DeSantis administration is going to support school choice. He's already appointed former Speaker of the House, Corcoran, to the position of Commissioner of Education. That's a very good sign. As a legislator, Corcoran had been a a very strong proponent of school choice. So uh, we think it is uh, very likely that there's going to be an expansion uh, of the eligibility for the education savings account program. And as you mentioned, there has been a lawsuit that has been hanging over the head of actually the the two school two of the school choice programs in Florida. In Florida, there, there are you know last year there were more than 150,000 low-income students and students with special needs that benefited from Florida's school choice programs. The tax credit scholarship program that Florida has with with over 100,000 students participating is the largest single private school choice program in the country. And the McKay scholarship program for students with special needs was also one of the pioneering school voucher programs for students with special needs. Both of them were caught up in a lawsuit that was filed more than a decade ago. It's called Citizens for Strong Schools versus the State's Board of Education. Ostensibly, it was uh, about the adequacy of funding for public schools, but they included arguments in their case that implicated the constitutionality of both of these school choice programs. Lower courts had upheld the constitutionality of the school choice programs, or at the very least, in the case of the tax credit program, said that the plaintiffs lacked standing to sue the state over the tax credit program. In the recent decision by the state Supreme Court, which was a a 4-3 decision, they essentially dispensed with the arguments against the school choice programs in a footnote. So the school choice programs came out of this lawsuit unscathed, and I think that bodes very well for the future of these programs in Florida and also in other states. So our vice president of legal affairs, Leslie Heiner, is going to be doing an entire podcast dedicated to this lawsuit, as well as the one I'm about to mention in Montana. So for those who are are interested in in the legal minutiae and all the different arguments that were made before the state Supreme Court, both for and against, and and I should mention that Leslie drafted our amicus brief that uh, was given to these both actually amicus briefs to the state Supreme Courts. So she's going to fill our listeners in with all of the details. But in terms of the implications, it just shows that these programs in Florida are very safe constitutionally. I don't expect to see any real legal challenge again. They've been losing over and over at the state Supreme Court in Florida when they challenge these programs. And it's also worth noting that Again, it was a four to three decision. The three dissenting votes all are going to be retired soon and will be replaced by the new Governor DeSantis. Uh, So the state Supreme Court is going to look 
radically different from the state Supreme Court that many years ago struck down one of Florida's voucher laws in the Bush v. Holmes decision. So I, I don't expect that we're going to see any more attempts to challenge the constitutionality of school choice programs in Florida. But that brings us to Montana, where there was a recent Supreme Court decision that uh, went in a very different direction. Montana had a, and this already, by the, by the use of the term had, had in the past tense, uh, you already see where this is going. Montana had a tax credit scholarship program that was challenged recently, and a 5-2 majority actually struck down the tax credit program. Uh, essentially, they did something very different from all of the other state Supreme Courts and the U.S. Supreme Court. Until now, tax credit scholarship programs, which exist in 18 different states, perhaps now 17 states, had a 100% track record of being upheld when challenged constitutionally. And the reasons vary slightly from state to state, but in most cases, what they said was this. Uh, they followed the U.S. Supreme Court precedent, which said that the, the funds never enter the tax collector's hands, and therefore they never become public funds. Because how a tax credit scholarship program works, is, as probably most of our regular listeners know, is that uh, the donations made from private citizens go to private nonprofits that then aid private families that are attending private schools. And they receive, the donors receive a tax credit, but all of the other state Supreme Courts and the U.S. Supreme Court found that constitutionally, there's no difference between a tax credit, a tax deduction, a tax exemption, in any of these cases that there you know that there's a tax benefit that does not mean that those funds that were otherwise owed to the state are to be treated like public funds which is what the other side opponents of school choice had argued they said look these dollars would have been going to the state therefore they are public dollars that that had never been accepted by any of these other courts the Montana State Supreme Court did accept that argument. And then they said because they're public funds, they run afoul of the state's uh, Blaine Amendment. And again, uh, listeners know that the, the Blaine Amendment is the basically traditionally anti-Catholic amendments to state Supreme Courts that said public funds cannot be used for sectarian schools, which uh, back in the day meant wink, wink, nudge, nudge Catholic schools. Now, the reason I say that maybe this is no longer going to be the law in Montana is because there is still the opportunity to repeal this to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is exactly what the Institute for Justice uh, is doing, because the Institute for Justice argues that this ruling by the Montana Supreme Court actually violates the free exercise of religion guaranteed by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And they point to the high court's recent decision in Trinity v. Lutheran, where they said that if you offer a general benefit to the public and you deny access to otherwise eligible beneficiaries solely because of their religious status, 
then you have violated their free exercise of religion. It is an unconstitutional form of discrimination. And so if the U.S. Supreme Court does take the case and follows the logic of Trinity Lutheran and takes that next step, potentially we could see the de facto repeal of the Blaine Amendments in the 40 or so states that have them. So we would only have essentially Michigan and Massachusetts, where school choice programs would be unconstitutional. And and that's because in those states, they forbid the public funding uh, or even funding indirectly via tax credits of any private school. So there's no religious question there. But any state that says non-religious organizations can get access to these funds, but religious organizations doing the same exact thing cannot get access to the funds, it is possible that the U.S. Supreme Court will say, no, that's and then by the way, Trinity Lutheran, I should mention, was a seven-two decision. Uh, so it's not even like a very close five-four. So it is it is quite possible that uh, we will see the de facto repeal of Blaine and then uh, a constitutional path for publicly funded school choice programs in forty-eight out of the fifty states. So we'll keep an eye on this and we'll keep our listeners posted. Thank you for that update, Jason, and give us a lot of stuff to. to to think about there. Like you said earlier, stay tuned for a more in-depth podcast from our Vice President of Legal Affairs, uh, Leslie Heiner, as she kind of talks through the minutia of what happened in these rulings. So with that, I'll give our readers a break and let them get back to their daily lives. If you would please subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on social media at EdChoice. Sign up for our email alerts at www.edchoice.org. Thank you very much for spending your day with us here in this uh, balmy uh, Indiana uh, January day, and we look forward to talking with you guys again here in hopefully a very similarly situated February day. So with that, everyone, good evening. (laughs) 